This afternoon at 5 o'clock at the Legion Park at the Pavilion, there's going to be sort of a, a Christian day for the believers and all the churches in the, in the area for just a potluck. There's no program, no preaching, uh, just some music and some fellowship together. So uh, if anyone would like to participate in that, that'll be over there starting at 5 today as a potluck. Also, here on the front, you can see that we have been talking about the story which we will hand out the materials next Sunday and the first Sunday of the story, which is a 31-week journey through the Bible, will begin on September 15th, which is the same weekend as we're doing our Big Tent Revival. <clears throat> We've been able to get the Ibar Ranch, which has uh, been uh, revived under the direction of uh, Brian Wickenhauser, and he's going to allow us to meet there Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday morning of September 13, 14, and 15. On the 13th, which is a Friday, uh, the concession will be open for food to purchase, and we'll have worship, and Mark Bruton from the New Song Church will, will preach. On Saturday, the Browns are going to cater, so it'll be Five Bs Catering Saturday night, and um, that'll be uh, offered by the church for all who come and attend the event. And I just booked a couple, um, Jeff and Stacy Peterson from Colorado Springs, she is uh, an actress and a comedian, and, and he does music. So they're going to come over and be our special guests for Saturday night of Big Tent. And then Sunday morning, uh, we'll do a, a church potluck out there and a brunch. We usually do something like that to sort of close out the, the summertime that we've had here. Next Saturday, the choir will be back in the choir loft, which will be great to have them back. They'll practice this Thursday at 5.30 if anybody's interested in being a part of the choir. So Alicia welcomes anyone that would like to participate in that. And that's enough of the announcements for today. So uh, you can read your bulletin for other things. I am uh, finishing up a study in the Gospel of Luke, and we are going to have this Sunday and next Sunday as the, the concluding uh, study in Luke. Luke was a doctor. He was a physician. He was very precise in his recording of the life and words of Jesus. He did this as a matter of research. He, did not, he was not one of the ones that was the original 12 disciples who went and moved and walked with Jesus, as the other 12 did. But he was commissioned by a man named Theophilus to do this work. And he used Mark's gospel, perhaps, and some others, but he did this in a way that brought order and a precise connection through eyewitness accounts, through research. And so <clears throat> Luke took this as a different approach than some of the other writers of the Gospels. And I'm glad that he did because he's done a remarkable job here on our behalf that we have a good record of the life of Christ that we can have as a historical and accurate and reliable accounting of the life and words of Jesus. So uh, what has happened is Jesus is making his way from the area of Galilee where he grew up and started his early ministry, and he's moving his way towards Jerusalem with an entourage of people, and all along the way, he's teaching, and he's healing, and he's uh, discussing the kingdom of God, and now he has arrived at the very edge of the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem sits up on a hill, so it's called a city on a hill, and visible to them, as we read this passage of scripture today, is the Temple Mount. In the Temple Mount, if anybody's ever seen a, a picture of Jerusalem in recent times, 
It has a gold dome. There's a gold dome, and that's the Al-Aqsa Mosque. It's, it's occupied now by a Muslim mosque that is a holy site for, for the Muslims as well as for the Jews because that's where it said that Abraham went to sacrifice his son Isaac. So it's now uh, a building there, and it's, it's magnificent. It's a golden dome. It's very visible. But imagine that at time of Jesus that we're talking about now, it is the temple. And the temple is being reconstructed by King Herod. King Herod was a builder. He liked to build buildings, and he liked to build magnificent buildings. And he didn't just do this because he, was a, he, he, he liked the Hebrew people, but he, he wanted to make this as almost a tribute to himself. He built temples to other gods as well. So this wasn't exactly an, an exercise in, in faith for Herod, other than the fact that he wanted to see this magnificent place so prominent in the city of Jerusalem be rebuilt and reconstructed. It was destroyed. Solomon's temple was destroyed. And uh, this was in about 435 B.C. They started rebuilding, but it wasn't anything like the temple of old under Solomon. So the people despaired about that. But now under Herod, they were reconstructing and expanding the Temple Mount, and it was a magnificent-looking structure. And so the people were using this reconstruction because the temple was their place and their focal point for life and faith and culture that their hopes were rising up as this temple was being rebuilt in hopes that their establishment of their future will come to pass and their, their hopes were just rising up along with this, this temple. But things aren't always as they seem. Uh, it seems like there was a story about two ga guys that, that checked gas meters uh, up the alley. They parked their truck down the alley. They were going up, they were checking meters, there was an older guy and a younger guy. The older guy was teaching the younger guy. So they're going up and they're checking the meters and at the last house on the alley, uh, a woman was looking out of her kitchen window and she saw them and the older guy then challenged the younger guy to a race back to the truck. So they took that challenge on and they started running down the alley together you know, just huffing and puffing, the old guy, the young guy. And as they reached the truck, they also heard somebody else huffing and puffing behind them as well. And it turns out that the lady that was looking out the window of her kitchen window watching them at the last house, they looked around, they said, what are you doing? And they said, well, when I see two gas guys running, I'm going to get in behind them and run too. <laughs> so, you know, I mean... So, so here you have this situation where things are not always as they seem. But let's start this passage of Scripture in Luke 21, verses uh, 5 through 19, and we're going to start reading into this place where it talks about some people remarking about this temple and how beautiful it was. Some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, as for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. All right, we're going to stop right there. So here all these hopes are right. This hasn't even been reconstructed yet. It started in 20 B.C. under Herod. It wasn't going to be completed until uh, probably about uh, 
around 63 AD. So it was going to be built for 80 some years. So it was still being renovated and constructed, but it was beginning to take a beautiful shape and a beautiful form. And people were getting very excited about that. And then Jesus makes this comment about the fact that what you see here is going to be thrown down. And that would be an unimaginable thing for the people at that time. Just as it would be for us as we look at something and we think of it as something being built for a great and grand future. I'm going to show you a picture of what this uh, temple, the, the, uh, uh, what they believe this temple looked like that under Herod and that was being built. So let's go ahead and show this first. That's the, that's the main part of this, of this temple, but outside was a courtyard with a big surrounding colonnade around it. So this was a magnificent place. And here's the second picture that shows it sitting within the walls and sitting up on a hill. You can see it sits up very high. So this is a rendering of what that place looked like. And can you imagine the people looking at that? And Jesus is saying, the whole thing is going to be thrown down. It's going to be demolished. It's going to be destroyed. And so the people could not even imagine that that kind of a thing would take place because their hopes were rising with this place. But Jesus also knew that even though there was this magnificent structure being built, un inside the hearts of the people, there were problems. Inside the hearts of the people, there was corruption, hypocrisy. They were impoverished in their spirits. They were bankrupt in spirit. They were rejecting Jesus as the Messiah. So all the while you see this beautiful structure being built inside the hearts and lives of the people, they were turning their way away from God as the one in whom they'd placed their trust and they would eventually reject the very Messiah that God sent to them as his one and only son. So it isn't all as it appears and that's I think what Jesus wanted to show. Then, sure enough, it came to pass. Uh, as we know, in 70 A.D., Jesus has died, risen up to the grave. Luke has finished writing his gospel. In 70 AD, the Romans came down under Emperor Titus. They surrounded the city of Jerusalem. They laid siege to it. And when they lay siege to a city, they cut off all opportunity for food and water into the city. And they just weighed them out. And it's, it's, it's recorded by the historian Josephus that over a million people died in that city from starvation and a lack of water. There was even reports of some cannibalism taking place within that wall of that city. There were some that were still surviving, but it was so easy then to go in and take over that city. And what they did was they took that magnificent structure of that temple and they stripped it and they destroyed it. They took all the resources out of it. They took the gold, they took the metal, they, they took ropes and they pulled all the stones down. They, they, they hauled off what they could because what they wanted to do is they wanted to break the will of the people. They wanted to destroy their faith, their heritage, their identity, everything that they knew was wrapped up into that. And you know what? They took all of the tr most treasured things to Rome. And they used that to build the Colosseum. A lot of times you don't know. You see that Colosseum and you wonder, how did they get the resources for that? A lot of the resources for building the Colosseum in Rome came from this place. The wealth, the, the resources, the structure. And so they destroyed it. And here's, here's a uh, picture of the rubble 
of, of the temple as, as part of it exists today. You can just see the rocks all crumbled underneath over there. There's some of that still exists there. And the reason we know all of this is true is Titus then in his arch, he recorded all of his, his great triumphs. And there is an actual carving or in, a, in, in, the, in the marble on the arch of Titus that shows, shows them bringing all of this back from Jerusalem. And let's show that, that final slide here of Titus. And here it is. You see up at the very top, you can see the, the menorah, what they call the seven candlesticks there, the seven, and we have seven in these. But, and what you can't see is, this is there's somebody blowing a trumpet. They were bringing back a great procession from Jerusalem with all of the treasures and all of the things from Jerusalem back to Rome under Titus. And it was very moving to see that this summer when we were there to realize to see the menorah and see the treasures from the actual temple of Jerusalem that had been destroyed was quite a moving experience. So Jesus said, this isn't where you need to place your hope. This isn't the place that you should put your focus. He's telling them that that will be destroyed, and sure enough, it was in 70 AD. So in this passage today, it's like bifocals. We're going to see near and we're going to see far. The near part of history that he talks about is what's going to be destroyed in 70 AD. The far part now is what he goes on and talks about. As for what you see here, we'll, we'll read this one more time. Teacher, they asked, when will these... Sorry. Sorry, Gwenda. Teacher, they asked, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to take place? So people wanted to know, just like we do... And all the curiosity we have about what the future is going to bring, they wanted to know, when is this great destruction going to come upon us? He replied, Watch out that you are not deceived, for many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and the time is near. Don't follow them. When you hear of wars and revolutions, do not be frightened. These things must happen first but the end will not come right away. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines, pestilences in various places and fearful events and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay hands on you and persecute you. They will deliver you to synagogues and prisons. And you will be brought before kings and governors. And all on account of my name. So the near, the near part of the bifocals is you are going to suffer persecution. In my name, because of you being a follower of me, you're going to go through great trials and great tribulations. Even before all these other things I just listed about wars and pestilences and plagues and and earthquakes, there are natural disasters, there's going to be political disasters, all this, before all of that's going to take place, you're going to come under persecution first. So he's telling them what's to come. And sure enough, that is what happened to them, including what happened in Jerusalem uh, during that time leading up to 70 AD. Remember Paul, one of the things he did was he took an offering out in the Greek Gentile world to be brought back to Jerusalem because they were so poor in that place. So let's go on. This will result in your being witnesses to them. Okay. Now here's the deal. 
He's saying to them, yeah, this is bad, but let me tell you, this is also going to be an opportunity for you. How could you imagine having an opportunity in the middle of all of that destruction, all of that persecution, all of that strife? In recent news, we've learned in Egypt, with all the turmoil that's gone on there, 40 churches have been burned and destroyed, and Christians have been killed in that place. They were attacked by radical fundamentalist uh, Islam. And some of you saw that in the news. And what did the Christians do in the middle of that? Here's the record that they talked about. They publicly forgave. Do you see that? Their world was being turned upside down and destroyed. They could have been very upset at what took place because everyone loves their church buildings, right? They love the place where they worship. It's, it's the place that they identify with. And the beauty of that also was is other group of Muslims said, we're going to help you rebuild. But it came through an opportunity for them to give witness Rather than seek revenge or turn on them, they turned it into an opportunity for witness. Now, eschatology is called the study of the end times. It's the signs of the end times. And a lot of people wonder, well, why does God allow all of this tragedy to take place on the world, all of this destruction? And it's not God that is creating this and causing this. It's sin. It's sin in a broken world. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, it set in place and set in motion this path of destruction, and we're still living in it today. Choose your time. It doesn't really matter. In our day and time today, you will always have around us, and we will all of our lives, wars, rumors of wars, nations against nations, families against families, all kinds of earthquakes and natural disasters. It's going to happen. Jesus said that it would. And, and those are some signs of the times, but they're not the signs that you think they are. Everyone thinks within their generation of living that now it's going to be the end times. And you'll have false teachers that'll come along and try to tell you, oh yes, it's happening now. And they'll either draw you in by preaching a false message of prosperity, or they'll draw you in by preaching a false message of fear. It will come from one of two places. And it will cause our hearts to look for a place of lasting peace and lasting trust and lasting place to place our energy and our focus. And he said, if somebody says to you, this is when Jesus is going to come back, and haven't we had that with the Mayan calendar and with, uh, I mean, recent times, there's always somebody, Y2K back years back, always somebody's going to have a gloom and doom message that's going to cause us all to get riled up and, and be concerned. And Jesus says, no one knows the hour or the day, not even me. So don't go chasing after that kind of stuff. Uh, they take advantage of, of you in terms of being somewhat gullible and, and using prosperity to draw you in or fear, and they're false prophets all over the place. Joseph Smith with the Mormons. Ellen White with the Seventh-day Adventists, and I'm not saying that they were wrong that she she gave many predictions about the end times the jehovah witnesses the baha'i faith victor paul wilra the way international just out here uh the Hyrie christian jim jones david koresh and the branch Div davidians all kinds of different people we have people in our day and time who are doing the same thing jesus says don't 
chase after that. This will happen. This will result in your being witnesses. So in order for you to be in a position to be a witness, you have to have a very firm, solid understanding of the truth of God so that you won't be swept off by these things. One of the reasons we're putting so much focus on this story and helping you get familiar again with the scripture is so that you will not be sucked in by false prophets and false notions and false ideas, that you will have a solid focus to your life and you will be in a good position in the middle of all of this mess to be a witness for God. That's where you need to put your focus and where you want to go. Let's read on. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourself. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends. And they will put some of you to death. All men will hate you because of me. But not a hair of your head will perish. By standing firm, you will gain lives. He promises his presence with them. Don't be afraid. I'm going to be with you. Be vigilant. Stand true with me. Be true to what it is you are learning with me. Practice endurance. Look at this as an opportunity. And think of it as the worst tragedies can become the best opportunities. Now what does he mean by not a hair of your head will be harmed? He's talking about the fact that, yes, they might be able to destroy your body, but they will never be able to touch or destroy your spirit, your soul, the heart of who you are. And he wants to use us. In, he wants to use them in their day and time. And they went through it as we all know. And he wants to use us in our day and time. I, I am one of the most optimistic and hopeful people there is. But I'm also real. And I'm, I'm with you when we look around our world today. We're no different than, than people back then. In terms of the chaos that's around us. Don't put your hope in any other place than in Jesus. If you're putting your hope in any other place, you know, we have our landmarks in our country. We remember when the Twin Towers went down on 9-11. That was devastating to us. But now we have these disaster movies that take out the Empire State Building and the White House and all the rest. What if the very symbols and structures that you hold that hold you together in life stock marks whatever it is what if that crumbles what if one stone is not left upon another are you prepared to be a witness in the middle of a situation like that that's what jesus is telling his disciples this is coming you will be witnesses for me let's pray Father, thank you that in the Bible we have all we need to understand life and what it means. Wherever it takes us, whatever it means, wherever direction it goes, all of us in our lives, at one time or another, 
will either individually or collectively experience times of uncertainty and fear and loss and danger. I am grateful that you have offered this promise to us. That though in this world we will have tribulation, we are to be of good cheer because you have overcome the world. And that you have asked us, you have directed us, you've said, I'm going to be with you. Don't worry. My presence is constant. It will always be there. I will always, always be there. No matter what. We take great comfort and strength in that. We also know that you want us to use your presence in our lives to turn us into witnesses of truth for you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to stand and sing, Lead on, O King Eternal. And it'll be like our battle cry or our song for closing this message today. Let's stand together and sing.